there. My name's Paul Taylor. This is Walking the Dog, my special podcast of occasional thoughts that I record while I'm uh, wandering around Walking the Dog, which is why I call the podcast Walking the Dog, because it saves changing the name of it. So I've got my dog Fraser here. He doesn't seem at all interested in what I'm saying. He's uh, searching for something in the undergrowth. He must have seen a large cockroach or something running around there. He's fascinated by things like that. Anyway, it's very hot this morning. It's morning. I'm taking him out for a walk. It's uh, 8 o'clock on Sunday morning and uh, taking him for a walk. And it's already very hot. And it was even hotter yesterday. And we really got into that time of year now. At uh, the beginning of July. When um, I find it quite difficult living in Pensacola, to be honest, at this time of year. It's very hot. Yesterday it was 90 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 32 Celsius. And it feels even hotter because of the humidity. And for a Brit like me, who's used to wearing wearing a jumper in summer shivering sitting on the beach at Scarborough or something like that it's a uh, difficult experience uh, costly experience when you see the electricity bills after you've had the air conditioning in all day trying to get the temperature down to uh, uh, something bearable so uh, I mean there are those people of course who will say well this is down to global warming although people who live here say it's always been like this but uh, it's down to global warming. You know, the world's supposed to be warming up. Of course, they don't call it global warming now because they're a bit embarrassed about the fact that uh, the average world temperature has actually gone down since 2000. So now they can have it both ways. They call it climate change now. They're saying the climate's changing, but they don't know whether it's going warmer or colder. It's, um, you know, it's a bit like the, the old weather forecast I remember as a, as a child. It's going to rain or go dark before morning. Um, it's a very high chance of that uh, forecast actually coming true. So they, they want it every way that they can, really, so that whatever happens, they can say that's global warming. You get a very big tornado going through Alabama, that's uh, climate change. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's hotter or colder, it's climate change. Huge snowstorm in, uh, in New England, that's climate change for you. Uh, baking hot summers in Arizona, that's climate change for you. Um, whatever happens really, that's climate change. Floods that they've had in Britain over the last few weeks, well that's climate change. Anything that happens, it's climate change. And uh, they don't really know exactly what effect's going to happen, but they do know what the cause of it is. It's these pesky industries burning loads and loads of coal and fossil fuels and causing increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that's going to kill us all. Whatever happens, it's the doomsday scenario. And it's going to kill us all. And, uh, you know, what that's led to is that there is now a new morality around. It's a new morality. It's not a biblical morality anymore because the Bible's morality doesn't really matter to people anymore. You can sleep with who you like, whether it be uh, opposite sex, same sex, more than one. Uh, It doesn't matter. You can uh, do what you like morally, but the worst thing that you can possibly do is fill your car up with a full tank of gas and just enjoy driving for the sake of it. Uh, That's just dreadful. That's really, really immoral to be doing things like that. 
and uh, switching the extra light bulbs on because it's dark. That's just uh, immoral. Of course, you've got to make sure that they're energy-saving light bulbs, you know, that flicker so fast you get a headache. Uh, you can't just have normal incandescent glow light, uh, light bulbs, the sort that we all grew up on. No, you've got to have these expensive energy-saving ones that give out a sort of blue light and... Uh, ah. It's, 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 there's all a, a morality about things, it's a changed morality. There are some things that you can do and that you can't do. And if you get the wrong thing, then you're in trouble. You've got to make sure that you conform. So, of course, anyone who uh, gives a different view is, uh, well, you can tell the, 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 uh, the condescension that comes your way, the, the, the criticism, the uh, moralizing that comes your way. It's actually, we've developed into a very... Um, now, I don't believe that the Puritans were uh, problematic in, uh, in this way, but we've developed a moralizing Puritan-style um, morality as regards what people have referred to as the various uh, things that cause climate change. So we're supposed to be careful about all these things. We're supposed to know what we're doing. We're supposed to make sure that we conform to the way that everyone is. So, news reports will take all one particular slant. Um, you've got to have a particular type of news reports, and you can see what the, what the issue is. I'm not one for conspiracy theories. I'm not one that goes into conspiracy theories, but uh, there's always a but, isn't there, in a statement like this. This is not really a conspiracy theory, but it is, it is rather convenient, isn't it, that any of the regulations that you would have to bring in in order to deal with climate change, where it's a real problem, any of the regulations you'd have to bring in cannot be confined to one country, let alone one state. You know, so you're not just talking about bringing in federal regulations that will uh, overrule states' rights here. You're talking about international regulations that will overrule countries' rights um, because uh, one country's industry is having an effect on other countries, so they say. And uh, in a sense, this change of name from global warming to climate change, so that you can label anything as being climate change, anything as being problematic, then they isolate what the causes are. They're not sure what the effects will be, but they're pretty certain what the causes are, they reckon. Uh, so uh, they've got to regulate this. Uh, you know, one of the most amazing sets of legislation that I've seen is in uh, my old country, in uh, the United Kingdom, in Great Britain, where the government has actually committed itself to um, a, a huge drop in carbon dioxide emissions over a very limited period of time. And what that means, of course, is that they are rushing to try and build wind turbines all over the place. And uh, that, that will cause, that causes, I mean, the wind turbines themselves are problematic. They're, they're an eyesore. They're hardly a, really a green form of uh, energy. It's not an environmentally conscious form of energy because they themselves are a blight on the landscape, spoiling our view of uh, certain rural areas. But take that a bit further, then I decided that they need to build large quantities of electricity transmission lines because, of course, the point is that many of these wind turbines are in out-of-the-way areas, rural areas, remote from the places where uh, the electricity is actually needed. So you've got um, to build large quantities of electricity transmission lines and the transmission towers, things that we like we call pylons in Britain, all over the place, large quantities of these. That's going to blight the landscape still further. And uh, for what purpose? 
because what a lot of people don't realise about wind turbines is that they're not really saving carbon dioxide much because one of the things about wind is it's not constant you know you don't have a constant supply of wind so you've got to have a backup just in case uh, the wind drops you've got to have a backup how are you going to supply the electricity you can't just rely on the electricity being supplied by the wind turbines you've got to have a backup the usual backup is to keep <laughs> coal and gas fired power stations running at below they're ticking over but running at below their normal capacity so that you can increase them fairly quickly because you see you can't turn a, a power station that's off come this way boy that's it good dog you can't turn um, a power station on from cold very very quickly what you can do is you can increase its capacity pretty quickly so if they have to keep these um, coal and gas fired turbines going at less than normal capacity and then you sort of switch them up and get the capacity going uh, more strongly and that's how they uh, that's how they cope with uh, with the the problem when the wind dies down as it does so it's not actually environmentally friendly form of energy whichever way you look at it but of course it's a very politically astute form of energy because if you have large quantities of wind turbines people can say look we are doing something it's the old politician syllogism this is something uh, we need we must do something this is something therefore let's do this I don't know it all seems uh, very strange to uh, uh, old people like me but uh, that's the other uh, problems that we've, uh, we've come up with these days. Those are the problems that we make ourselves simply because we won't uh, look at what Scripture actually says. So let's have a look at what Scripture actually says. Genesis chapter 8. Uh, the flood has happened. Uh, Noah and his family have got off the ark. The animals have got off the ark. God speaks to Noah. And one of the things he says is that as long as the earth endures, there will be summer and winter, seed time and harvest. Those things are going to endure as long as the earth endures. Okay, now how does that apply then to this whole business about so-called climate change? Well, the climate may well change on a microscopic level in certain regions and uh, even on a microscopic level over the world on for certain reasons we'll come to that in a minute but is there always going to be summer and winter is there always going to be seed time and harvest yes there is these things are going to happen because it's part of God's promise to the world it's all tied in with the promise you know that ultimately is signified by uh, God putting his rainbow uh, in the clouds as a sign of the promise as a sign of the covenant that he makes with the whole of the world with the whole of humanity which is a very important covenant there's a huge amount more I can say on that particular covenant because there's a lot of things flow from that covenant but let's just concentrate on this one thing is there going to be climate change well maybe it doesn't say that there won't be climate change but is there always going to be a pattern to the climate and is there going to be uh, the way that God's ordained climate with summers and winters you know warm periods and cold periods and of course this is all relative because in different parts of the world the quantity of heat quantity of cold is going to be different but yes it's always going to be there God's promise that this cycle it's always going to happen. Does God keep his promises? Yes, God keeps his promises. He signed that in the clouds of the rainbow, saying that he will not bring another flood. 
that of course is why it's important to understand that the flood was a worldwide event because if the flood was not a worldwide event just a local event in one area then it looks rather as if God hasn't kept his promises because there'd been floods in local areas we had flash flooding a few weeks ago here in Pensacola there's been flash flooding in uh, further east in Jacksonville uh, in the last uh, few days there's been uh, major flooding in Britain as well with uh, poor weather in the last couple of weeks so uh, if the flood of the Bible was a local flood God has not kept his promises because there's been plenty of floods but the whole theme of the Bible is that God keeps his promises and uh, witness to that is the fact that uh, the flood was a global flood God has not brought a global flood covering all the high hills again so the promise that the climate is going to be here for us on different occasions also holds true now how do we see that working out in history well what we see is that the climate has changed at different periods. I can't comment too much about the history of climate here in Pensacola. Two reasons. One, I've not lived here very long. Um, European history here has not been on a very long scale, only about uh, five centuries in total. It's the, the longest period of um, settlement by Europeans of any part of uh, North America, but uh, well, certainly the United States area, that is to say, not uh, North America. There were um, places settled earlier than that in uh, Mexico, but certainly in uh, the, the area now, which is now the United States, this is the oldest European settlement, but even here, it's only five centuries. But you go back to uh, the old country, go to Britain, and the climate has changed considerably at different periods of time. There's always been um, summer and winter, however, but the climate has changed and it's gone in cycles. For example, in Roman times, the climate was probably warmer than it is today. Records show that there were vineyards growing near York in the north of England, uh, you know, which is a very important Roman settlement, but they were able to grow vineyards, they were able to produce wine there. Um, that requires a Mediterranean-style climate. Other evidence suggests that that is what the climate would have been like, a Mediterranean-style climate. You know, people have talked about Roman soldiers suffering the cold on Hadrian's Wall, and I doubt that that's really too much the case. The climate was probably warmer um, then than it is today. But then, of course, during the uh, uh, late Middle Ages, you get considerably colder climate. Uh, you get what amounts to a little ice age. Uh, where I lived in South Wales, particularly near, near where I used to work when I was a school teacher in Penarth in South Wales, and there's a village nearby there called Cosmaston. There's a, an old uh, settlement there that you can go and visit, which is absolutely fascinating, well worth going to see, which dates back to the um, early 14th century, maybe older than that, but they've got a village there that you can go and visit, and certainly in uh, the early 14th century there was a, a period of time when it rained for pretty nearly constantly for for over 12 months you can imagine what problems that caused for the uh, local economy and for the population how many uh, lots of people dying at that particular stage because they weren't able to grow crops the little ice age later than that the temperature was colder you know we've all heard the stories about the river Thames in London freezing over so thickly that they could hold ice fairs people could get onto the ice Come here, come here boy, come on, come on, quickly, quickly, let's get you over, over this railway. Okay. So, um, 
we've heard about uh, accounts like that, about places where it was uh, very cold and that you could get uh, freezing conditions. And uh, come here, come here. So that was a very cold period of time and that cold period of time was continuing until Victorian times because you can read about the ice fairs in the Victorian times in London and of course that's the period of time when scientific measurements were just beginning so that's the period of time when um, uh, the first scientific measurements were beginning so every scientific measurement you've measured since then and including up to today shows an increase in temperature and what uh, modern scientists are mistakenly making is that they're thinking, well, this has been a continuous rise in temperature throughout the 20th century. Therefore, we've got a problem if we keep extrapolating forward, forgetting that that is not the way that it works. That's not the way that it works. Actually, um, the temperature was probably warmer at one period in the past than it was. Well, certainly it was warmer at one period in the past than it was in Victorian times. You were starting at the lowest point as measurements began, as modern day scientific measurements began, you were starting at the lowest point. So of course you would see an average rise in temperature. Well there's a huge amount more that I could say on global warming but I think that's enough uh, to talk about climate change just so far to say well it's problematic, the science is problematic, the scriptural basis of it as well. It's non-existence, quite the opposite. Scripture shows that it's not a, a genuine phenomenon. History shows it's not a genuine phenomenon. And proper science shows it's not a genuine phenomenon. It certainly is a political phenomenon though, because so many governments are committed to it, committed to making laws that uh, affect our everyday lives and uh, laws that cross national boundaries. It's a problematic, uh, a problematic phenomenon. It's not going to go away easily, but uh, we need to look at all these things in a proper biblical context. We're not to worry. We're not to worry about the future. God uh, has got everything in hand. Uh, Maybe he will choose to use some form of climate change. He could do if he so wished. We know the climate's going to get very hot at the end when he burns everything up. But that's not the issue. The issue is to trust God, to read what we, what we see in Scripture, to get our information from there, rather than worrying about the uh, doomsday scenarios that the modern millenarians, the climate change scientists, are so worried about.